Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, once again, it's time for Insane in the Fembrain. Insane in the... Uh, Fembrain. Hello, everybody. Hope you're well. Hope you're doing fine. Uh, ah, it's crazy still out there. Who knows what's going on. But before we get stuck in to this week's podcast and have a bit of a chat about what's going on, um, I've got to do some admin. Got to do some of that. Uh, we're going to big up first. We're going to go into islingtonradio.co.uk. Guys, I've got my own radio show. Yes, finally, the dream has happened. It's come true. Old Rich Wilson has got his own he's got his own radio show on Islington Radio. And I'm telling you now, it's absolutely superb. The music is excellent, the chat is exquisite, um, and it, you're gonna love it. So get on it. It's on Islington Radio, which is on Mixcloud. Um, and it's really easy to do. All you do is just, just go onto the app. You get it, it won't cost you anything, and then you just go on there and you put in Tuned Up Time Machine, which is the name of the show, and it'll come up and you'll have a great time. I promise you, I'm really good at it, honestly. Have a listen. So that's islingtonradio.co.uk. Get involved, people, it's very cool. Also, this is something I keep forgetting to look at, right? We get reviews. I always forget to look. I think I don't want to upset myself in case someone doesn't like it, and it only, it only takes one person to not like it, which is fine. You know, not everybody can like everything that you do. Some people don't like you, and that's how it is in the world. But I think that kind of puts me off, and I don't—I forget to look. We've got five-star reviews for Vembrain. I can't believe it. It's fantastic, and I'm looking at them right now on the screen. It's brilliant. There was one, we had Zoe Lyons on the other week. One of my favorite people in the world, and I really love talking to her, and we, I forgot that we were doing a podcast. We ended up because we just because we're mates and we got really open and honest about stuff. I genuinely forgot that we were that we were uh, that we were recording. But it was lovely. It was really nice. And um, and Flissod, I think it says Flissod five star reviews. Soft shell crab. Absolutely loved the last pod with Zoe. You both had me in stitches all evening. Zoe's metaphor of a soft shell crab was a beautiful work of art. Can't wait for the wedding. My sincerest wishes to you both and your future together. Yes, we did. We have said that if we weren't, if we hadn't sorted things out, or you know, like you can make a pact with someone, we've gone, you know what? If it ends up just, if we're just on our own, fuck it. Zoe and I are going to get married, you know? You know, we're going to, we'll work it out. We'll worry about the logistics later on. But, you know, if you're listening to this, get yourself a hat or a fascinator or whatever you want to wear. It's going to be a wedding in the future. Um, also, we had uh, Vet Nurse Lisa, wonderful podcast. She says, such a great listen and positive to hear both Rich and guests talk about important subjects and project and project, project, project and project, project. 
project mental health issues as a normal positive thing. It's true. It is true. And yes, it is. It's a truly safe space and a great listen. It's true. I ask the questions that maybe you're, you don't want to ask because this is a safe space to do that. You couldn't do this on Twitter. You'd get cancelled. But I, you know, I, my intentions are pure. I want to find out. I don't want to upset anybody. And that's why I'm having these conversations because there's a lot of stuff I don't know about don't know where to ask so I get people to come on here and then I ask those questions and I have those conversations and then hopefully people listen and go ah okay cool and then we can go about our business without upsetting and offending everybody out in the real world and we can talk about the fact that sometimes we feel a bit shit life does that to you life's really hard and we have to find ways of making it of make of getting through it you know dealing with it you know it's not an easy ride it's a, it's a there's a lot going on and not just now in 2020 there's more stuff going on anyway this doesn't doesn't matter about pandemics and and the world burning it's you know it's a, it's a, it's difficult being alive i'm not going to lie to you it, i struggle with it a lot but this is why we do this to find it to, to show that we're not alone we're out there we're everybody's struggling and finding a way to get through it and this is why we do this so thanks for that lisa um we also got pandor 718 yes rich has done it again thank you pandor amazing interviews amazing host thank you very much now i know some people listen to him, oh he's just reading out his praise listen i'm not being big-headed but this is nice isn't it nice when someone says nice things about you it's the nice thing i'm not arrogant in any way shape or form or big-headed I'm just reading this, it's very nice. Thank you very much, Pandor718. Lucy from England, funny, fascinating, and truly important. Yeah, it is. JW487, brilliant, he says, or she, I don't know. It could be a she, could be a he, just says JW487, or it could be a they. Could be a they. You've got to remember. And that's something else as well that I'm getting my head around because, you know, I'm from the 70s and we only ever had two genders male and female. And now we're educating ourselves. We find out there's a whole spectrum of people you know, that are identifying in different ways, ways that make them comfortable. And so we should we should be respectful of that. And and that's why sometimes I'll get it wrong. And I'll like you, you know, you say, ladies and gentlemen, you go, well, there's more to it than that now. You've got to remember. So sometimes I'll get it wrong. But that's JW487. Thank you very much. And uh, and that's that and I think that we've cut oh Gav Cross, Gav Cross, mate. Funny looking. Uh, <laughs> I might like this one even more. Uh, brilliant. Uh, he's left five stars for Membrane. Ah, oh, dude. Thank you, Gav. Thank you, mate. You did, actually. Yeah, I remember reading your name out. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Sorry about that. I'm not, it's not back, back, back I'm not patting myself, patting myself on the back. I know, well done, well done. It's just nice, and I want to recognize that. Thank you, everybody. My guest this week on Insane in the Fembrane is a woman called Vix Layton. Vix Layton, uh, she appeared in my life a little while ago, um, and she's fantastic. She's a she's a great human being. She, um, very positive, very driven, um, and I wanted to chat to her about how like she's only started out in comedy, and I wanted to talk to her about what that what that's like now because I mean I've been doing comedy 16 years and I kind of had a lot of luck at the beginning where I kind of I sidestepped the open mic circuits. I didn't have to do too many of those because I was very lucky. Um, to have been given opportunities in other places that meant I didn't have to do it. And also, what it's like being a woman now in comedy, coming through, because it was for years, it was very much a male-dominated arena. Um, 
and just want to talk to her and see, yeah, obviously things have changed, but I want to see, I wanted to see how much they've changed. So I thought, brilliant, why not? Let's get Vix on. Like I say, she's always been very supportive. She's very encouraging of me and what I do. And I'll return the favor, get her on and have a chat. So coming up in a bit is the brilliant Vix Layton. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A podcast from producer Paul Dakota.uk. You've had quite the morning, haven't you? Oh my god. I've just I've just been at my work Christmas party and they sent us 16 sachets for a taste tour. And it just looks like a load of drugs paraphernalia. I've got powder all over my desk, all over me. I didn't enjoy it. It's, <laughs> it's the biggest racket I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> how are they earning money? I thought comedy was a bit of a dos, but this man literally had his taste salt and sugar. Oh, my I, God. I <laughs> what was that I, for? What did he, was it a company? Yeah, it's a work Christmas party. Like, yeah. It and sounds... I dressed up and no one had their um, cameras on. So that was a waste of my time. Fuck's um... sake. Mate. You <laughs> I sa- know. It sounds, hor- <laughs> sounds horrendous. But you started your comedy career just when everything went to shit. Well, yeah, <laughs> I did. Um, like, a, well, like a year before, almost yeah. to the day, actually. Because I think, because um, I did Mark Watson's comedy marathon to get over my fear of public speaking. I remember. And like I many you. things. It escalates. Yes, you were there. We you were. and Jade. Jade and I were there, yeah. Saw you. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was meant to be just a thing because I wanted to be a female corporate speaker okay. in my day job because um, I kept going to conferences and complaining that there were never any women on the panel. Right. And then I get asked to do them. And I turned them down because I was too scared. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very much part of the problem. Yeah, there needs more women, but not me. Yeah, but somebody else, if you could just pick that button up, that would be really great. <laughs> and uh, as you said, your comedy career escalated from there. Yeah, I got a bit of a taste for it, to be That'll honest. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, the first couple of times going on stage, because it was like the 24-hour marathon show. And the first couple of times going on stage, I genuinely just had white noise in my head. I didn't know what was going on. I'd forgotten how to speak. I didn't know how my arms and legs worked anymore. I was very aware of myself. And my lip was stuck to my teeth, which has never happened before in my ah. life and hasn't happened since. Got dry teeth, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was really weird. <laughs> It's yep. like dr- drier than my mum's Christmas turkey. <laughs> but, um, I came off absolutely buzzing. But yeah. I, I used to be a massive show off. So this phobia kind of came out of nowhere. It's something that fascinates me because I, nothing happened to me to trigger the phobia. So it okay. wasn't like I got up in front of a school assembly and my skirt fell off or anything. Mm. I was properly, like I did GCSE drama. Right. So, I'm not only yeah. Not only did I do it, I winged it and didn't learn my lines for the practical until the very last day. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's how confident I was. And then over the years, I just felt more and more self-conscious to the point where it flipped over from just your normal nerves mm. that you get when you're about to do something big to even in a team meeting at work. If I knew I was going to have to speak in front of like five or six people, I was not sleeping the night before. Really? I. I kept volunteering for things as well to try and get over it. And the last one that I volunteered for, I was taking like a social media course. My day job is PR. Mm. Um, I got into such a state the day before knowing that I had to speak in front of 20 people that I somehow gave myself all the symptoms of a sick bug. Yeah, like right. I was being, I was being sick all the night before I had a temperature. I was, I was having a shocker to the point where I felt it was completely justified to cancel. And right. as soon as I sent the email cancelling, I was fine. Wow. Oh, my and God. And so I'd made myself sick with worry, and I kind mm. of parked it from there because it, it became a thing that I thought, do you know what? I'm in my late 20s. Maybe this is just something I'm never going to get over. Just live with it. But yeah. I was getting offered really cool stuff, like <laughs> the conferences I was being offered to go and do with people that were my absolute heroes. And every time I turned it down, I just felt so stupid it just felt like a silly thing because it's the it's that thing that it's like because i'm scared of spiders as well it's like what's the worst that could happen yeah but just didn't matter nothing i could say to myself nothing my friends could say to me would change my mind it was Mm. yeah and this is and you don't know what where it stemmed from it just kind of manifested over the years yeah I don't know if it was because I became a little bit more aware of like what I looked like compared to other people. Cause you know, teenagers are quite hard mm, Yeah, definitely. from uh, you start comparing yourself to other people. And I think maybe over the years I wasn't particularly happy with how I looked and that became part of it. Right. Walking into meetings, walking into presentations, knowing that your first impression, you're going to be judged. Mm. I don't know if that was somewhere in the back of my mind because I've spent a lot of time trying to make sense of it. Yeah. And I just haven't, yeah, just haven't come to any um, any big conclusion. I mean, it seems to be that, and it's more that women, I mean, it happens to men. I mean, I've gone through that. I've, well, I had shocking body dysmorphia, but the, but men don't really, it's not, men aren't really judged the way women are, are they? Like you're, like you're walking, and would it? And I imagine there wouldn't be a lot of women in the room. When no, you're, when you're exactly. Walking in. And that makes the comparison even harder. So mm. I, it reached a point where I was always aware who the biggest woman in the room was, because right. that was one of my hard measures. And I think I'm from a funny generation. We were kind of pre-body positivity, right? <laughs> but we didn't have social media. But it very much came from, I'd say, my mum and yeah. like her friends, because for 
my mum's generation, like being slim, looking a certain way was very much the ideal. Yes. So I remember her being, because I can't blame the media when people say, oh, it's magazines and stuff. It wasn't for me. I was aware of my mum doing all kinds of crazy stuff, like the cabbage soup diet. Oh, wow. Like, like the special K diet, which was cereal for lunch, cereal for breakfast. That was on telly. Yeah, That's a I real thing that. that happened. Yeah, I that remember was, it. Yeah. It wasn't like some kind of weird group hallucination that we all had. That was genuinely <laughs> sugar a for recommendation breakfast. for women. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar for breakfast, sugar for lunch. Yeah, and that's what we were all supposed to aspire to. Like, yeah. men got the fun breakfast cereal, women wanted the red dress, so they had to endure the cardboard flakes. And um, it just gets set in your bones, I think. Yeah. Like, it genuinely it was a weird time, and it just never went away. Like, I noticed last year, I think I tweeted about it, that I always pick sandwiches based on the calories, not on the ones that I want. Oh, okay, yeah. So that'll be the first thing I check. So if I'm somewhere like Pret or eat i will check i will pick up the sandwich that i want and probably immediately reject it wow because I've, I've got this arbitrary figure in my head on how many calories a sandwich should have in it right yeah. i don't remember when that started but it's yeah. just this pernicious thing that's always going on in the back of my mind these sort of weights and measures and calculations like gin and slimline tonic yes like, Yes. That is like, yeah, it feels so dated. It's like embarrassing to say in the pub, which is why I think they've all gone for things like refreshingly light now. Because, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's incredible to see the shift in um, in how women are treated. But it's uh, we've got a long way to go, and I think it's yeah. it's kind of institutionalised in you, and it's not necessarily external factors. Like my mum, genuinely thought she was doing the best for me. Like she took me to Weight Watchers, I think, when I was about 14 or 15. Mm. And looking back now, I'd love to be that small. Yeah. <laughs> but she genuinely thought she was giving me the best start wow. in life because, you know, bigger women just didn't have the same opportunities. Yeah. And, which is just bonkers, really. It was. Just, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, it was almost, it was like subconscious. Like, oh, well, you can't control that. How can you be good at this? Like you had to control what you were eating. And do you know what I mean? And it's that, and, 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 and women were always told, no, 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 there was always smaller portions for women and men had more because, it, you know, they're growing boys and they need more. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, it, it just, yeah. it sticks with you. And I think yeah. I, I worry that I'll never know what I look like in real life because I've looked back at photos where I was absolutely convinced that I was horrendous and tiny to look at, but in the mirror that wasn't what I saw. Mm. So it's really hard now to trust my own version of events because right. it can change depending on if I'm having a confident day or a bad day. So that's it. It's all about the chemical levels, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, there are forty wiring. You what? So forty wiring. Yeah. <laughs> but I've had that loads. People say to me, "You go, no, you're you're a good looking lad," and I'm like, well, "I don't see it." And it just because you just don't see it, and I can't. There's nothing I can do to change it. If I'm not if I'm not feeling it, I don't feel it, and I can't see it. And it's so shallow and yeah. I'm so sad for my friends when they say the same thing. And it's, it's like, yeah. that's the thing that frustrates me most. What I recognize and think beautiful in other people, I cannot apply to myself, mm. which then makes me feel a little bit hypocritical. You know, I read the books, I like the body positive Instagram, and I mean it with my whole heart that when I see people, I see the beauty in people, but I just, if I could wake up in the morning, I think it'd be two stone lighter, I would take it. And that is sort of a sad thing. I think it's a sad reflection to come to at 36 that so much of my self-esteem is tied to something that is so nonsense, really. It's just but, the way, it was just the way society's yeah. been. 
I hated photos and that's the thing this is why comedy has been such a shift like I cannot understand why I'm doing it because everything about myself mm. <laughs> suggests that this would be my worst nightmare and you know it's that thing isn't it where people say oh you're so brave to do it but I think the first six months I was basically carried by the fact that I was doing something that I never thought I'd be able to do mm. like the adrenaline of just doing it I didn't even worry if it was good or bad just the the thrill of being able to get up in front of people when it had been years and years in the making of thinking that was something that was kind of lost to me mm. just drove me through to well, the point it, where yeah. I was, I was even like, I was like anti-nervous. I was like really, really chilled <laughs> out for a lot of them <laughs> considering I was like right at the very start and um, very bad. <laughs> We're all bad at the beginning. None of us, none I'm, of us. I'm not, I'm not great now, but oh, atrocious. No, but, like, you're, but you're, it takes time. <laughs> it takes time. You're not, you're not crap. That's you're, no, you're learning. You're learning. Like any, like anything. When you start out, not many. I, not many people walk out straight away and absolutely smash it. We all start off shit. I was supposed to do five minutes at my first gig. I managed two and a half. <laughs> I got one joke out. Can remember what I was doing, and then got told to get off. Just get off. You're doing all. It's fine. And um. Yeah, but what is amazing is that said, that's like, enough. They, they were like, "Yeah, that'll do. That'll do, pig." Your, but what is amazing is that you're you're so like you were saying earlier, your your nerves are so bad that the fact that you get up in front of people and do this is extraordinary. Yeah, um, yeah and I got told by a comedy promoter, I think on like my sixteenth or seventeenth gig, that I couldn't speak about what it was like to be a comedian until I'd done at least a hundred gigs. And that was, well, yeah, but it's like a red rag to a bull. It's like, don't (laughs) challenge me to stuff. So I did. I did 100 gigs in a year. Just to prove a point. point. To someone whose name I can't even remember. But at the time I was like, I'll show you. I'll show all of you. It's, uh, (laughs) yeah. All these rules and that, that, that get people put on it. It's like, if you're doing it, it's fine. You're doing it. You're a comedian. You know, yeah. there's always like, oh, I mean, I've even said it myself. I've said it. I've, I think I said it the other day. I'm like, ah, oh, you can't call yourself a comedian unless you're getting paid for it or earn your living from it. But that's because I was in a bad mood. I was, <laughs> I was fucked off about something else. And someone asked me that question at the wrong time. But I think if you're doing it and you're making people laugh, if you're stood in front of people and you're making them laugh, you're a comedian. That's it. Yeah. That's and it. It's- I'm so impatient for stuff as well. And I guess the problem is, you know that you're going to be bad. You're going to steadily improve. But we're all the hero in our own film of our lives, aren't we? So you also secretly hope that maybe you're the like 0.01% that actually goes like from zero to a hundred. And it, it, it's kind of taught me a lesson about that as well because um because pr is the job that i've been trained for so that's been my career since i was like 22 or 23 yeah you that is basically the art of um twisting a narrative to suit yourself (laughs) (laughs) so i've kind of had to reprogram myself in terms of there's not you know you, you can't manipulate your way into this very easily obviously privilege exists so the opportunities aren't freely available for everyone no but i think that there's a certain leveler to it oh for with sure comedy. yeah absolutely um there is a lot of luck involved with it i think with opportunities very much so um you know there's i i i, I sort of i sidestepped the, the open mic circuit because i my partner was running a comedy club and so i got to MC that on a friday night and because of that, because of the name behind that, they went, oh, other comics went, other clubs went, well, if you're doing that, you must be good enough to come and do this. 
Yeah. And I kind of got thrown in at the deep end. <clears throat> so I can't imagine what it must be like to actually spend a long time on the open mic circuit. And is, is it still as male dominated as it was? I mean, like years ago it was definitely. Yeah, hugely. You, you know, it's nice because there's almost a kind of collegiate feel to it. Okay. Like the women that started around the same time as me, it's an absolute joy to see them at other gigs. Mm. Like, like genuinely, you're always thrilled, and it is like it feels like there are kind of almost like schools within comedy so we're all doing there is like a circuit within the circuit so i was on a circuit with what felt like i was seeing the same people over and over again there was um one comedian that i think i did five gigs in a row with (laughs) over the space of about 10 days and i said to him as a joke should we swap sets and um, he went white as a sheet because clearly he hadn't retained a single joke (laughs) of mine that i told (laughs) whereas i definitely felt confident i could have done his yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's great um the support you get from other women in the circuit and wherever they are so i've been so lucky in terms of like i started hosting gigs because i tried to sidestep the open mic a little bit by Mm. putting my own gigs on to give myself more stage time and more experience and because i've again it's privileged because i have a day job that is pretty decently paid Mm. i was able to offer a fee to a professional headliner excellent so rather than just put another open mic on in another pub yeah. that, you know, you might stumble upon. I was able to put a dream act on that I got to then meet, which was great for me because I'm such a comedy geek. Like, yeah. I've been in another comedy since I was in school. I did Eddie Azard's um, DVD was my A-level coursework. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> I deconstructed his speech patterns and um, how the jokes were constructed and told. Like, I was such an anorak for it. I listened yeah. to comedy dvds like i listen to albums so i can still there's there's loads of comedy dvds i probably could still have a good stab at just recite every word wouldn't recommend doing the material to the comedian when you meet them though (laughs) eddie zod was very patient with me but i don't think they loved it um nobody wants to hear that either do they hello idol i studied you in school yes that's how old you are like oh absolutely i might as well have just been sick on their shoes like for how badly that went (laughs) i remember saying to a comedian before i was a comedian um i think your stuff is great when i tell it to my friends they think i'm really funny so thank you (laughs) brilliant yeah i'd only been there that's when i started up the creek i'd not been there very long and he graciously, I mean, he was pissing at the time as well. I was in the toilet and he graciously went, oh, yeah, cool, man. And then must have thought I was an absolute tosspot. <laughs> it's a weird art, isn't it? Like for any other genre, it'd be like a covers band, but it just doesn't work that way for <laughs> <No>. comedy. <laughs> there, I mean, there are people that do it. There are Peter, Peter K tribute acts and there are some, but yeah, it's not the, it's not the done thing, is it? It's not. It's just weird. Upon. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I noticed the most about my early sets. Like I thought I had some gold down, but then I go along because having done a hundred gigs, that meant I'd seen about over a thousand acts right. on the open mic circuit. Cause it was always like between 10 and 30 acts on in an evening. That's a long night. That is. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a, long, a lot of comedy that's a Monday for you. <laughs> and people are like, why are you drinking? I was like, how are you not? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, 
very little original thinking. Like there are a lot of different ways of telling a very similar life experience because yeah. I guess fundamentally we've got you know we've got more that we're doing the same than we're doing that's unique and special and I think that was quite an early lesson yeah I think uh, Ricky Grover said that to me he said it's there's only there's only a few there's only there's not many things you can talk about and you're gonna you don't worry about covering a topic that somebody else has covered because it's just it's your version that people want to hear you know it's not so don't worry about the different it doesn't matter. Yeah, like you say, we've all, we're all sort of covering the same ground, but it's just your version that people want to hear and, and find interesting. So that was a nice thing to, to, to learn early on. Yeah. Thought, yeah. Because um, it's it's tricky for me because my life is basically a French farce. Okay. So trying to just find running the... around through, open, from one yeah. door to another, just running around in circles. Exactly. Just opening doors, closing doors, getting knocked over. Um, so finding the line between things that are so generic and relatable that maybe they're dull and things that have happened to me but are somehow unbelievable. And I know they happened because I was there. Mm. <laughs> but I've told a few stories about my mum because my mum is a force of nature. Oh, and yeah. I can see people don't believe me. And it's like, I know this is funny because I've lived it and it has to be funny because otherwise it's harrowing. But... Yeah, this is not a landing because it just sounds too ridiculous to be true. So my mum is a basically a bit of a prankster. She lives in a complex full of old people. She's the youngest one, and okay. she rules it like a prison yard. <laughs> She's and like B, B, BR is not B. Was it in um, prisoner cell block H? Yeah. <laughs> she's like she's brilliant and my mum is like my mum will give you the world and this is a, a characteristic that I've kind of inherited and I have to be aware of my mum puts people she just falls in love with humans mm. she will bring she used to constantly like I think I was an old soul as a kid because my house was always full of fascinating people right okay so well, I didn't just, know just bring yeah. them back she can meet somebody in the post office queue, basically, and they'd end up sitting by our kitchen table being fed by her. Like, I what? met some of them. Yeah, genuinely. Like, my background was so varied. I didn't realise that um, lesbians and gay men were unusual to other people until I got to high school. Because right. my mum had such a variety of really interesting friends. I just knew um, that Gareth and Tony were together, that Claire and Debbie were together, that my mum and dad were together. I didn't know that that was something yeah. that other people found strange. And I went to a Catholic high school then and learned some things. Um, but yeah, I was, I was taught that because, but it just goes to show that hopefully we can move towards a world that is a little bit more understanding of different ways of living. Cause yeah. if I could be brought up to the point I got to 11, and was very much an LGBTQ advocate without even realising I was. Yeah, <laughs> just how life should be. And you, there's hope yeah. for all of us. <laughs> but um, yeah, she was she's intense, my mum. But yeah, you have a good she, relationship with her. Uh, it's yeah, we're we're too similar, I think. And I think I recognise in her the things that I've got about me as well. And I'm not very tolerant of them because I don't want them to be true. <laughs> so she puts people that she meets and loves on a pedestal straight away. Right. So I'll often hear from my mum about this new person that she's met and she's like a sister to her and she's amazing. It's brilliant. And it's all true. She's just, my mum just sees the best in people, but it's a hard fall yes. when they don't match her expectations. I've been there. Yeah. And yeah, the fall from grace is pretty sharp. And I think it hurts her more than it hurts the person that she's canonized. So it's something to be that I'm kind of aware of. Yeah, I, I've done that with a few people and been dis really disappointed when they weren't exactly how I thought they were going to be. 
yeah and she'll give you anything and it's not that she expects the same in return per se but it's quite easy to to hurt her so for example the story i told was um, on stage that people didn't quite get was how um her neighbor's husband had died and she wasn't personally invited to the funeral and rang me up absolutely roaring mm. <laughs> like raging <laughs> about the fact she hadn't had a personal invite because she'd kind of put herself so far away from the situation. It was like, she had other things on though, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she had a lot on. I, I totally get it. You've done so much for her and this feels like a slap in the face, but you kind of need to put that to one side. But they, they've never made friends since, since this slight. And they're now locked into this petty war. Like my mum hides her welcome mat for example <laughs> like she'll move it to somebody else's door and there was there was this brief period where they kept changing the locks on the communal shed right so that the other one couldn't get in so they were going with bolt cutters cutting off the other person's lock and putting their lock on and it sounds like something i've written for a sitcom but this re this is true yeah <laughs> and she loves it she rings me up herself now she's got she's like fix i've got a story for your set i'm like it's not going in mum. but you tell me <laughs> she is yeah she's she's just so charismatic though like people fall in love with her as much she falls in love with them like really? genuinely like all my best characteristics are from her but i think some of my frailties come from her insecurities as well so mm. she's been a big influence on me yeah right um, um how does she come to live where she's living um she's just um, unfortunately my parents split up when i was in my 20s right. so they, um, it wasn't great by the end and it was the right thing to do, but, um, she concentrated on being at home and okay. bringing me up. She wanted to be a, you know, a parent that was always there for me. Mm. So she put any kind of career aspiration she had to one side in the way that, you know, it was normal to do yeah. that. It was the housewife and the husband goes out to work, but finding yourself at sort of 58 with no real assets. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they, all the savings kind of went into paying off like the house and bills. And again, through the credit crunch. So everybody was kind of relying on credit cards. By the time things got paid off, there wasn't anything left. And she's a very, very proud woman. So yeah. I could probably support her more, but she just won't let me. Right. Which is, again, a point of much frustration for me. But she loves it, though. <laughs> like, she loves being around people. She's a natural carer. One of the biggest concerns I've had over COVID times is... Mm she thinks she's invincible like she's robust she's like i'm you know i'm a hardy woman yeah but um so i know she'll be offering to do people shopping she'll be going down to tesco she'll be going into people's houses to make sure they're all right yeah. even though you technically shouldn't because it's it's just in her it's who she is so she wouldn't see anybody in trouble really when she could do anything and i think that's one of the reasons that she's you know living in this accommodation is that she um she'd give her last penny away right <laughs> Yeah, okay. So, oh, amazing woman. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And she could have lived a very different life if she was born a little bit later, I think. I think being born in the 50s. Mm, yeah. If she, yeah, she'd be probably be a better comedian than me. But <laughs> 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 you, you were talking, we were talking, we've spoken before, you were talking, you were talking earlier about about how, worrying about how you look or, you know, like the, the way that society tells us we should look a certain way, you know, to fit in and things like that. And we spoke before about um, um, having, you know, like eating disorders and things like that. Has that ever been, has that ever played a, a part? Yeah, but it's, again, it, it's so, it's awful in that 
nothing has felt particularly extreme in the context of how my other friends behaved mm. necessarily. So when you look at it isolated, like I went through quite a bad phase at uni. Basically, I got ill in my first year of uni, lost a load of weight and was terrified to put it back on. Really? So when I got well, um, I didn't, I was like so scared of it going back on that I limited how much I was eating. I had a tin of sweet corn for lunch and then I'd have half an egg fried rice and half a sweet and sour sauce for dinner. And it was just this really weird ritualistic thing that I did. Yeah, for, like, right. yeah and it was, I, could, I knew it wasn't right, but it was working. <laughs> yeah. And like, and this, that's the thing. I must, I look back at photos now and I look haggard. Yeah. Like, because I was out drinking every night with my friends. So it wasn't like I was just doing that. I was living my first year life at the same time. So, like, my behaviors were pretty unhealthy. But people have never been so complimentary. Like, really? I came back from being ill. Like, I was off uni for six weeks, had lost a lot of weight very quickly. And everybody had was like, oh my God, you look amazing. You look so great. Cause so many people equate losing weight with looking great. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't say that when people have lost weight. It's like we're retraining people slowly, but it's even on the tip of my tongue when people have lost weight to go, oh my God, you're looking so well. What, you know, what have you been doing? Because it's, it's just yeah. a, a very just... easy equation to make when actually if people have lost weight, it could be because they've had a particularly awful time or like I was ill or, but I was just getting all this positive endorsement all the time. Yeah, right. For it, so which didn't, yeah. yeah, which didn't really want to make me change my behaviour. And I managed to get hold of some um, prescription slimming drugs oh, as well in my first year, which basically were speed, which <laughs> I, which I didn't know because like when I was eighteen, like the internet existed, but you went to a computer room to look at it. And why would I look at the ingredients? It was working. So I had quite an anxious, um, quite anxious first year all in all and um, unsurprisingly I failed you only needed 40% to pass your first year and I failed (laughs) which is quite an achievement I think Um, (laughs) so my mum wanted me to move home after first year and she was like you can't be trusted to be out and about on your own you're you're a monster come home and be looked after but um, something something set in me because that was embarrassing because mm. I I led quite a chaotic life I was always I'm always I'm so, so sociable I'm always out yeah and I've been like that since I was a teenager so I was leading quite a chaotic life and getting away with it right because I managed to get through my GCSEs and my A levels I did no revision really it was just luck yeah because I did amazingly so I didn't learn <laughs> so, well, like, yeah my mum said my mum my mum was the same she was like you're an intelligent lad but you didn't apply it. if you just got stuck in you could have come away with all sorts of things yeah and I just I look like look back now I did have an argument with my mum before I went to uni so I had all A's at A level I'm pretty sure I got someone else's results because <laughs> that does not tally um with <laughs> that's quite the thing just to breeze through yeah it's not bad is it so I had the skills apparently if we accept that they were my results and not somebody else's and somebody else wasn't crying into my seas um (laughs) I had the aptitude but then I went to uni I said I didn't want to go I wanted to try a year out because I was tired and I didn't I I wasn't I didn't enjoy like that kind of learning I like being out and about I wanted to do jobs I wanted to learn through getting out there and living but she was of the opinion that if I took a year out I'd never go back right and I was um one of the first sort of you know I was the first person in this kind of line to have gone to university like she didn't go and she always regretted not going so it was a big deal for me to go 
but I just, I was too immature for it. Like everything about that first year said I wasn't quite ready yeah. <laughs> for that. And then the, the sad part is that I went into second year and I kind of really got into the spirit of it. I um, had a brief spell on antidepressants, which leveled me out. Okay. But I didn't feel anything. I wasn't yeah, right. like feeling any extremes of emotion at all. I wasn't feeling really happy. I wasn't feeling really sad. It just kind of leveled me out into the yeah. middle. So if I was late for a lecture, I just wouldn't go. I'd just be like, oh, I'll just go to the shop then. Um, yeah, right. Wow. So, so that was like my second half of second year because I got taken to the doctors because clearly something wasn't quite right. Yeah, they were like, you can't just wander off to the shops. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, I, I was, yeah, taking some, like, what I think were probably quite low level in the context of um, antidepressants now. But um, they, they, like I said, they leveled me out. Yeah. I think they, yeah, they, they, sound they like didn't what, fix me. No. Well, they sound like what I, they sound like. Well, I was on them briefly, not for very long, <clears throat> years ago. And I, yeah, I didn't feel anything. I remember being at a festival and I was on the antidepressants and then I also had uh, ecstasy. And then, oh, yeah. <laughs> but then I was really, I didn't go up. I was kind of leveled out talking to people about mortgages. <laughs> it's just boring. I was just got really boring. But um, I found a lecturer that I absolutely loved because, like I said, in the same way as my mum, I'm fascinated by interesting people. So yeah. I found this lecturer that I really liked. And I took all her modules, oh, wow. and that that got me into that got me through. And and she was amazing. She's still my friend now, actually. But I think she recognised that I was a bit fragile and really, really supported me, like in very small ways. But looking back now, it's like she didn't have to do that, and it's no. great that we're still in touch. But yeah, if it hadn't been for her, I probably wouldn't have finished. Yeah, right. And then I started to get firsts, which was a bit of a fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'd already done my average in. So I, I came away with like a 2-2. Two, two. It was like a high 2-2, two, two, but mm. my academic record didn't support them putting out to a 2-1. So on the borderline, it just didn't no. didn't kick through. Right. And that was, a, that was a really hard lesson of like winging it and doing well. Then um, cocking it up when you've got 20 grand of debt to show for it. So <laughs> not, not one I'd recommend, really. I don't know if I do uni again. I didn't do it right. Um, so I had that first year, which was wild. The second year I was going out with somebody who was much older. So my boyfriend was 27 because I needed that. Basically, right. I needed to be rebuilt. And I was, like I said, I was a little adult anyway. So yeah, <laughs> I hang around with older people. So I didn't really experience uni the same way everybody else did. Okay. And then by the time I went into third year, I'd kind of completely disengaged. I had a couple of friends at uni, but I also, because I'd stayed at home in Cardiff, I never had to make long-lasting friends because i had them like my friends oh, were coming yeah. home from uni i had a job i worked in tesco's like three days a week so i had all these friendship groups that already existed so i didn't have to put the effort into making new friends no and i think if i'd gone away and i had to rely on this sort of nuclear family that you create when you're in a halls of residence i would have had a very different experience yeah so if I did, if I had done uni again, if I could make my own choices, I would have taken my year off <laughs> <laughs> and I would have gone away. I think I was too cowardly to commit to uni because yeah, well, it felt like too, it felt too scary. <laughs> <laughs> but there's an but, assumption that if you don't, if you don't go to uni, then you failed. It's that thing. Everyone that, did. Everybody yeah. I went to school with, like pretty much all the people in my year that did A-levels rather than the more vocational things that were for the more practically minded. Everybody, it felt like everybody went. I couldn't have been the one person that didn't go. Mm. I think I would have I would have had like severe FOMO. Yeah, right. <laughs> very different with my school. I think there must have been two, three tops that went to uni for my school. It just wasn't a thing. Um, Whereas it's yeah. more like, yeah, it's more 
I think it's more geared towards it now, school. School yes. is geared towards higher education rather than <clears> careers <throat> or finding a job. Because I came out of GCC with, like, no practical skills. Really? <laughs> yeah, same with A-level, really. I did media studies. Oh, right. And then it just put you out to the public and you're like, yeah. oh, I'm fucked now. Media studies. I did English language and English literature as separate A-levels, even though I could do them as one because I was that dickhead. <laughs> pretentious in the extreme yeah. i want to study all the texts <laughs> oh, wanker. what a wanker i, I resat a paper as well because I, I was not academically minded but i'm very competitive with myself mm. so i got a b on my as for english language and i resat it what <laughs> i know well, and there was b wasn't of, enough no there was a lot of controversy about it as well because they had to pay for me to resit it so obviously they didn't want to You're a double wanker <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was, I, yeah, I'm a, a character. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm a parody of myself. Right. Um. And then when you, and then you go into, and then you started in comedy and that, and that just kind of took you, that didn't, you just got, you, you just started it. You didn't know it was going to actually go anywhere. No, I just thought it would be nice to have an interest because um, my interest up until that point had been drinking with friends. Yeah, cool. And I was always jealous of people that had, like, things, that, hobbies and interests outside work. And I tried it because I was absolutely spoiled with my first ever comedy gig because it was an ACMS and I got booked by Tom Tuck. And Amazing. the audience there were glorious. And I didn't realise what a big night it was. So obviously, I didn't know anything about comedy. Mm. But it was so good. I think if I'd had a bad experience, it probably would have been enough to put me off because <laughs> I was on a knife edge for it. But, um, yeah, it was just such a good start. And then, yeah, just started gigging, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed the break because, like, my career up until that point had been PR and it was 24 hours a day for me because right. I, I kind of defined myself by it because it was my kind of biggest achievement, I think. I was working for national brands. I was managing to climb the ladder quite well. Didn't feel like – it didn't feel like something that I could get out of. And it yeah. started to feel less like a journey and more like a bit of a prison towards the end. Right. So before lockdown, I was starting to think, what do I want my career to look like? Because I always felt locked into PR. Once I got good at it and they started to pay me more and more money, you you have to stop thinking about whether it's for you. Really? Because it feels like, well, with any career, I guess, mm. you're kind of locked into a path and you get used to a some quality of life. Yeah. So I could have retrained maybe to do something else, maybe to try journalism, but they're not paid as well as PR people. So it's like, because I, I stopped enjoying it. Right. Yeah. Like, years and years ago, I think. Like, it's it's fun, but it was just a job. It went from being something I desperately wanted to do and that was like a real passion of mine to a bit of a trap that I put myself in. And it was 24 hours a day by my own hands. Mm. Like, there was never an expectation for me to work all those hours, but yeah. I was a well. It's that kind of imposter syndrome. I think I was aware that I was in a very senior job. I wasn't really sure if I should be there. Right. Because <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> you get jobs and you go, "Hmm, I don't quite know how this happens. So yeah. let's just make it work." And I've been waiting to feel proficient, and I've been doing this job for about fourteen years now, and it hasn't come yet. So maybe <laughs> I need to accept that it just isn't coming. Like say, feeling like an right adult, is yeah. it? It's not, it's not there for me. This is going to be my life. But yeah, I always felt like I was scrabbling to uphold what I sold in the interview. Mm. So I was answering emails at like 10 o'clock at night. Oh, I was, wow. yeah, waking up in the morning, checking emails. I was on holiday, checking emails. Like I said, no one made me do it. 
but I just worried what would happen if I stopped. Right. And the beauty of comedy was that I was able to, I had a hard stop. I had somewhere else to be. Mm. Yes. And when you're at a show, you can't be checking your emails because you're supposed to be paying attention. Yes. <laughs> like if, you're, if you're sat in a room with people, you, you should. Not everyone does, but I try or I can to give them the respect of like, at least one eye <laughs> and I genuinely love comedy as well but also I was doing comedy in places that didn't even have wi-fi <laughs> so, oh, so you've, like, yeah, you've like, mur- murder bunkers basically <laughs> some of the venues I was in like I would not set foot in there if you paid me money and all of a sudden I was like striding in I was like no women's toilets great Lush. this is my dream uh, <laughs> is there was there a lot of sexism coming through because I, I don't know. I've not been. I don't, I've you know. I've been doing it sixteen years, and you hear all these stories about. There's a lot of stuff over the last couple of years, or last year even, uh, with the Me Too movement and the people, things happening in in uh, gigs, uh, like men saying, saying of being inappropriate at gigs, or wherever. Did you experience any of that? Is that I think I'm I'm too old for it, to be honest. I think because I present like an adult. Mm. Even though we've (laughs) just said you're not. (laughs) I know, but I look, sadly, uh, the insides don't match the outsides. Um, Because I'm a (laughs) grown-up, I think people know that it's probably not worth trying it. (laughs) Right. Because I hear the stories and I'm like, it always, it seemed to be... They're believable. No, no, absolutely. But But what I mean is it sounded like it was happening to newer acts rather than I'm not saying things didn't happen that hadn't happened in the past with established acts but it seemed to be a lot happening for newer acts I think there are you know that when you are running a gig it's probably quite easy to get carried away with your own power in that situation and that is that is problematic there's a lot of like sometimes it does feel a little bit like a boys club like you see the same acts doing the same nights over and over again but you keep getting turned down or you're the one woman on the bill and that's not always great because it's really hard to know how relatable your material is if 50% of what you hope will be your audience one day isn't in the room yeah true yeah (laughs) it's like hey who here has made a friend in the women's toilets wow none of you cool um yeah great <laughs> that's been my sign bye and you get introduced in like different ways as well like patronizing ways so oh, it'll really? be like oh isn't she cute it's like i've just done a five minute set about italian toilets <laughs> there was nothing cute about my experience in the italian toilets or my telling of it it was actually quite crass or isn't she adorable isn't she lovely like it's it's not men don't get described like that no i've never been described as cute <laughs> i mean i can if you want that's, <laughs> next time we gig together <laughs> next time i host yeah next time i host the gig you do and then um, but walk. yeah it's just, it just puts you on a different level yeah. or you'll be put in your place like oh it's her third gig like it's mm. i think i experience i've experienced a lot of unsolicited advice really? for sure and that advice has always come from men yes <laughs> Oh yeah, this was a really good joke. But do you know what you should do? No, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to hear. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask. No, just for the bar. I, don't, I mean, <laughs> it's happened now and again, but not all the time. When I was when I was new, but it was always from someone that I respected and was happy to for them to be talking to me and happy that they gave me that advice. But this seems to be happening. Yeah. This seems to be people giving advice that have been on the open mic circuit the longest. They haven't really progressed. But because they're the big, they're like the big fish in that in that pond, 
And you have to make a choice at that point, I guess, whether you do want to sort of throw yourself into bigger waters and yeah. be small again, or if you choose to rule that kingdom. And I think one of the positives that's come out of lockdown to a degree is I'm seeing women who I've been on the open mic circuit taking a chance setting up their own open mic nights mm. and that's going to make things feel different yeah so when I set mine up I wanted to make sure it was it was in the back of my mind that I wanted it to be the kind of gig that I would be thrilled to turn up at yeah where the toilets were nice where there was a green room you could sit in where it was where you felt safe like mm. where the bills were balanced like, I don't do balance like boy girl boy girl like that's not mm. it but they tend to sort of balance themselves out because yeah. i just like good comedy <laughs> <laughs> but um, that to, was yeah. that was what i aspired to and it was um the pub that i did my first run of gigs with was a female landlord as well which is great so she had exactly the same thing in mind for what she wanted from the pub mm. so she said she designed the pub to be like that to be a space where women could come and have a drink by themselves yeah and not feel exposed and not feel like they're going to be looked at so she designed the pub with all these little corners and areas so mm. women didn't feel on display which is you know and that's that's something that's a reason to be cheerful yeah, absolutely. There is that, that women are taking this up. And yeah. I've seen loads of female promoters sort of coming through, making these gigs work, where um, some of the sort of male promoters that I've seen have sort of fallen by the wayside. And there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of conversation about, oh, there aren't any venues anymore. And it's like, I think there are. They're certainly not easy to find anymore. But I think there's opportunity for people to come in and do things a little bit differently and kind of smash what was the normal form, mm. which is is good news oh absolutely so. there is that we it's only started happening in the last you know sort of in the last few years where um yeah women are seen as people rather than just playthings for men and a woman sat on her own at a bar is i mean i remember this i remember growing up i remember the conversations that i heard and things that were pumped into us we were like oh yeah she's at the bar yeah they're just they're just waiting for some dude to come along and chat them up and and I, you know, they're just out. And but then women wouldn't yeah. be, women wouldn't be able to go. Wouldn't be able to do that because it was dangerous. I hate going to pubs on my own. I'd wait for my friends outside before, and that's another thing that changed when I started to do comedy. I got a lot braver about mm. going and doing things on my own. There was just something. It's not you, you will be approached, and that's the thing. It doesn't matter. Like you cannot be on your own. No. <laughs> in some places and it's just it's yeah it's an uneven world like i tweeted yesterday that google should have um, a facility in their maps to show the well-lit routes so you can choose to go a bit longer but the street lights will be better yeah it's, i i, I had that myself i had to ride my bike from somewhere the other week and it sent me through the woods <laughs> in and the as dark. a woman going through the yeah. woods in the dark you can imagine what that's <laughs> i was shitting myself i'm 48 <laughs> Um, um, I'm pretty sure yeah. I'll, I'll probably get through the other side unmolested. Yeah. And it's just, there's always that 1% because I, I broadly feel quite safe around about London, which I don't understand why because like, the stats don't bear that out. But um, I usually feel quite safe. But yeah, occasionally, because like, I live in quite a rough area, it's up and coming, but it's, a, yeah. it's quite a rough area. And um it's like walking back from the station past 10 o'clock. You, you get approached. I get approached quite often. Like a guy cycled so close behind me um, a few months ago that he nearly fell off his bike because I slowed. I tried to speed up and he sped up with me. So mm. he was like, I could feel him breathing down my neck. Oh my God. So I slowed down 
and he slowed down Oof. and he slowed down to the point he almost fell off his bike oh my god which is insane and i got to my front gate and i literally slammed it in his face now i don't think he had any intention for me other than to scare me or to he was playing some kind of weird game in right. his head. I don't think he necessarily had malicious intentions, but I was really like proper white noise in my head scared. That's a fucking weird thing to do. But it's not unusual, like men walking too close. And I wonder if there are some men that think they that maybe you're reassured by them being close because it's otherwise deserted. But my advice is just stay as far away Mm. as you can if you see a woman on her own like i had a guy accost me in an empty train um when we came out of lockdown as well who sat next to me because he wanted me to feel safe and he kept pointing out that um he knew that i was a woman on her own late at night and i was like great i feel so safe now um thanks Mm -hmm. um because the thing is you're a woman on your own he was like can i ask you a question which is hateful Uh. i had my headphones in and i was like he was waving his hand in front of my face because I was resolutely just watching yeah. um, something on my phone. And I was like, hello. And he's like, can I ask you a question? I was like, we just did. You know, it's a cheap shot, but we're comedians. We, we go for the laugh, don't we? Yeah. So we just did. And he was <laughs> like, can I massage your feet? What? And you just, you were just sat on a train? <laughs> I was just sat on the train, minding my own business. It was like the last train of the night. And it was a long time to the next stop. Ugh. And um, he was like, hey, I'm, wh- why no? I was like, no, absolutely what? not. And he, was like, and he was like, why absolutely not, though? And I was like, well, because I don't want you to. He's like, why? I'm just being a nice guy. I'm offering you a nice thing. And I was oh, like, what? I don't think it's nice. He's like, how have you decided I'm not nice? I was like, well, everything about this. Yeah. <laughs> what don't you get about this situation? And then he continued to pester me and obviously got off at the same stop as I did. Of and course. I genuinely, like, I tried to make a, a joke out of this and, um, said it at comedy night quite soon after and i can't do it because it's not funny like it is funny the Mm, run-up to it was quite funny but it's not funny and like as we got off the train he said he'd really enjoyed chatting to me what i was wondering what picture my mum was going to use on the news when i was murdered (laughs) like that was where i was at mentally and also worried that people would have seen us on camera together if something did happen to me and it would look like i'd gone with him willingly Mm. so i had all of these things going on in my head (laughs) I was just trying to get home. Yeah. And um, he was like, oh, it's been really refreshing to talk to me, talk to you. It's nice to talk to like a grown up woman. I normally talk to girls and they all just want to sleep with me. So this has been really nice to be challenged. I've had a great chat. And what I was like, is this going I've on? I've had a really scary 15 minutes with a maniac and you are walking away feeling like we had a great chat. Like well, He's obviously he, talking shit, isn't he? He's are still, you crazy? Oh my God. <laughs> so he was just trying another angle. Yeah. Maybe so that like, would have, maybe that... All, all other women are trying to sleep with him. And do you know what? I find that very hard to believe. Fucking hell. <laughs> but yeah, and he was like, oh, don't worry. I'm not going to walk the same way as you. And I was like, oh, why would I think that? Everything that you've done over the last 15 <laughs> minutes. And I got around the corner because I had to walk because I didn't want him to be angry. And that's the thing. you can't. I couldn't tell him to fuck off. So I didn't want him to be angry at me. Mm, right. Because I was on my own. Yeah. Like, even if I'd ring the police, we were on a moving train. So what what do you do? So I had to be nice enough that he wasn't angry, but also not nice enough that he thought he was in with a chance. So, and that was just a woman on the train trying to get home. And I ran. Yeah, I got, I walked slowly because again, I didn't want him to think I was scared of him. Walked slowly around the corner and then just ran to my front door, like as fast as I could. Because, and yeah, I'm normally quite laid back. Like I've been very, very lucky. I don't, you know, I haven't had any, bad experiences with men I could speak of. Mm. 
I've had my drink spikes a couple of times, but I for, for no apparent motive because I was left unmolested. Um, but, oh wow, they just spiked you and fucked off. Yeah, really weird behaviour. But you know that's happened. And again, you say that like it's nothing. When you think about it, it's just because it's happened to so many of my friends. It feels normal, but that's mm. that's not normal. No. But well, <laughs> yeah, having some. Yeah, having someone put drugs in your drink is not something we should just go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, it's just some things that happen. Well, that's what happened. They were going, and then it it got to (laughs) people go, instead of educating the men, it was like, oh, don't leave your drink unattended. Oh, get this this nail polish, and then you can put it in your drink and check if it's been spiked. Like, products existed for us to buy. Yeah, instead of actually educating (laughs) men at a young age and going, hey, lads, try not not to rape any, yeah, try not to rape any women. How about that? It's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. But I've been, like I said, I've been really lucky. Like the men in my life are the best. Mm. But I know that's not true of everybody. And then you have these brushes with people, and it's even because life outside your own sphere. So I would have said things were getting better for women potentially. But then you have a few of these experiences in a row, mm. and you go, oh no, just because I haven't experienced it, it, it is everywhere. It's still happening. I know. I've I've said this many times on here <clears throat> on the podcast that. I see it on, you know, like you'd be on the tube and you'd be on the, on the escalator and you'll see a guy and, he'll, and he's looking at a woman, but not only is he looking at her across the escalators, he's like turning around, like glaring at her, like she's an exhibit in something. And it, and I've, I'd never really noticed it before up until recently. I didn't really take any notice. And now I'm like, hang on a minute, what are you fucking doing? It's, you just, know, it's quite confrontational some, as yeah. well. You'll, you'll have that where people just stare you down. This year, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> You can find someone attractive, you can look at them and go, oh, she's attractive, or there, he's attractive, or whatever. But that, you, why are you glaring at them? And to the point, what do you think is going to happen? Like they're going to see you glaring and come back up the escalator and meet you. Well, that, it's, that's, that's what always puzzles me. It's like, what's the best case scenario for these people? What do you get, like <laughs> that guy on his bike? What are you, you going to do? Give, him an e, give you an ET home? Yeah, oh my God, you're so gorgeous. Oh, <laughs> Thank fine. you for getting right in my face so I can see it. <laughs> on it your bicycle. Dark on your bicycle you've got your own transport you're a man living his best life let's go let's run away together (laughs) if you tell me you're living at your mum's even better (laughs) but it's like because right outside my land station actually when it was really busy and it was it was late but it wasn't very late um a guy curb crawled along and tried to pull me into his car what (laughs) and again it's like only thinking about it now when i said i've been quite lucky i'm like oh yeah that happens as well and like he was like grabs my arm and was like tugging at me and this other guy stepped in fuck and was like i don't think she wants to go with you <laughs> and he was quite a big guy mm. so the guy in the car withdrew his arm back in but then curb crawled along behind me and then this other guy walked me almost to my house but i didn't know the other guy either no, so God. i had to trust one stranger over another i was like this guy could also be sinister yeah. but this one definitely is so i will I would rather take my chances with this stranger to walk me home than walk home on my own, knowing that this other stranger has definitely got an idea in mind. Unfortunately, it was was a really lovely guy, actually, and he saw Mm. me into the house, and it was, yeah. But it was, that was, again, it was a gamble. (laughs) It's a gamble between these two people. But it was, was like, so bright. Oh, really? The lights of the station were bright. There were loads of people around, but nobody got involved. (laughs) But yeah, because like I was, I suppose I wasn't screaming. It was just I was so shocked. I was like, I don't want to. And then his arm shot out, and I was like, Oh, oh my god! 
how dare you yeah but yeah by the time i realized what had happened this other person had stepped in to, to rescue me but he could have been just as dodgy but they could have been working together oh god yeah is that <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and as soon as I got in, all these scenarios, as I was walking back with this other guy and he was chatting away, all these scenarios were going through my head. It's like all this risk assessment you do as a woman all the mm. time. And you just, it's no wonder we're tired. Yeah. And even down to what you're wearing on a night out. There's that, it used to be that when I was growing up. It's like, oh, yeah. well, she was wearing blah, blah, blah. So she was asking for it. Rather than telling men, listen, if it doesn't matter what they're fucking wearing. <laughs> consent is consent. Yeah. No, it's still no. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, I'm exhausted just listening to it. <laughs> I never I feel knew like we were going to talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just meaning in the comedy circuit because I sit here and I hear all the stories, but it's just rife, isn't it? It's just, yeah, it's just life, unfortunately. It's not exclusive wow. to comedy. You know, where, where things should be done, they absolutely should be. Mm. And it is lovely. It's, it's great to see, like, men stepping up yes. in the comedy circuit and talking about it, but I also, it, it, it must be tough to know what to do. It's a tree. It's, it's tough for everyone. Yeah, like, it is. It's a. I, I've experienced it. Well, I've I've had conversations with people that I've heard things about, and then I don't, I've ended up in a where in a car with them or wherever, and and I've brought it up and gone, look, dude, I need to ask you something, and it's always ended up in a fight, not a punch up, but an argument. Because it's Cause you like know, yeah, because like Daniel Sloss did the whole bit of material about it that got widely shared alongside mm. like when that conversation kicked off in the summer, and it's just frustrating. It was really well articulated, and clearly people took notice of it. But it was frustrating that women have been saying this for such a long time, yeah. but it took a man to come, and then people were tweeting him going, "Oh yeah, you're so brave. This is so great." And it's like it is. It's it's good that he's done it because it needs to be said by everyone, mm. but. It was just, it's frustrating, isn't it? It's just like, oh, we've been saying it and saying and saying, uh, and it's its the man saying it that's getting shit. Yeah. Well, it is. I've, I've, yeah, it's fucking not typical. It's typical. But I, it's funny with mates that I used to, that I've had, and I'm not friends with them anymore because I, because you hear, you, just the way they are and the way they talk to women and the way they, the way they are with women, and you go, ah, oh, instead of, because we didn't feel we could say anything, you just kind of distance yourself from them. That's what we used to do. You kind of go, oh, I'm just not hanging around with that dude. But then obviously he's going off and he's still doing his thing. So it's good that we're now, we are now, we now feel like, hang on a minute, mate. I'm not fucking having that. I'm going to have you a know? word with you about that. But that's a new thing. We haven't, it's not, that's never been the way. Not really. Unless it was something really extreme. But it's, you know, it's tiny steps, isn't it? Yeah. Well, at least we might, this is it and it is, at least it's starting. Are you all right? You've gone funny. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm here. Uh, I thought the um, I'm still here. <laughs> I thought the connection had gone. No, I was just um, truffling through my wine. <laughs> <laughs> if in doubt, get pissed. <laughs> well, I think, like I said, I've been on my work Christmas party. Oh so. yeah, so yeah, I've been, I've been drink, drink, gently drinking all day. Just, just quietly, you know, just one or two to try and fake the Christmas party experience that you would have <laughs> if this was the the old times, the pre-plague times. Yes. How are you finding the Zoom gigs? Oh, they're funny, aren't they? <laughs> it's, it's a strange vibe. <laughs> yeah. But is it, do, you, do you treat them like a work thing? Like, like you've, like you said before, you're, you're, if you're, if you, are you, do you treat it like a gig or do you treat it like you're, you know what I mean? Like a, like you're like a work thing, like you're doing like you're a presentation. 
It's uh, for me. It's probably I really enjoy it because I like comedy. I like mm. comedy when it goes wrong. I like comedy when people absolutely kill it. I just love it. I yeah. love the 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 tension of of comedy. Like, are they going to be good? Are they going to be bad? I get a lot of joy from that. Whereas I've got friends that have got like a very low gag reflex for embarrassment, like secondhand right. embarrassment, and they just cannot cope. So <laughs> with bringing gigs, it was like trying to work out the ones that would turn themselves inside out with horror if mm. someone died versus someone who would take it in the spirit that it is. It's like one day, move on to the next day. They they, they were better last week. They'll be better next week. So <laughs> I do. I enjoy it. Like I get a lot out of the gigs. I watch the other acts. I'm always up in the comments. I'm, I'm a big laugh as well like because <laughs> i just genuinely i get a lot of joy from comedy so i went to see sakisa's um work in progress last night and oh, it was yeah. the one night off i had this week so i had like corporates gigs i hosted a gig on tuesday mm. um it was the one night off i had and i used it to go see wow. someone else do comedy wow <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good show. I have no regrets. But in that way where you make plans when you're an op a younger, more optimistic person, they roll around, you're like, I don't want to leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I've got worse. I think that's a, that is a unwanted side effect of lockdown is I have got more hesitant about committing to all the things that I used to. Mm. So now like the idea of three social things in real life in a row sounds exhausting whereas before i could be out five nights a week and i'd be looking at like oh we can do brunch on saturday morning because yeah, i right. just filled my time and now i'm getting a bit anxious it's like oh what if i'm tired so i've got this kind of sort of stockholm syndrome for my house <laughs> yeah <laughs> all i want to do in lockdown is like get out it's like to the point i sat on the balcony in like sub-zero cold the last week of lockdown to have a different office <laughs> and um now that it's back on offer i'm agitated about doing it it's really i think it's really people, weird yeah. i think a few people feel like that we've now so used to it they're going like, back yeah. out is a bit odd like i just didn't take my bag the other day because you don't need a bag in your house i don't need <laughs> keys to open the bathroom door i don't need money to buy things from the fridge um like i completely <laughs> like i don't know how long things take to do either i used to be an absolute scientist for being i could be just the right amount of time mm. by absolute more more luck than skill but I just didn't leave any margin for error. And now if a journey is going to take 20 minutes, I'll probably give it 45 because <laughs> I've just lost all faith in my ability to get from A to B. Yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I tell you what I, I, what I will be doing when the, I, I got to a point because I've been doing comedy so long. I was like, I've got a night off. I'm not going to go to a comedy club on my night off. Fuck that. Um, and the one night I was going to go to, I was going to go to Outside the Box in Kingston and I used to go down there all the time and I was on a lot because Math, Math would put me on. He's such a great, great dude. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And I'm like, oh, fuck it, last minute, I didn't bother going. And Robin Williams was on. Oh, no way. And I didn't, I, I remember, I put, I, oh. yeah. So ever since then, I'm like, Ooh. if I'm going to go, I'm going to go. That's like when I turned down dinner with Phoebe Waller Bridge, and I'm still wondering what might have happened if oh. I'd gone. <laughs> my life could have been my life could have been different. <laughs> <laughs> That's mad, isn't it? You see, oh, that, this what this split decision. It's just one. Because yeah, one. she just we we were at a, like a little award thing. She just won, and she was really excited. And I somehow ended up in the circle of people congratulating her. And she's like, we're going for dinner next door. Do you want to come? And I was like, oh no, I've got a really important conversation I need to have with Eddie Izzard actually, because it was that night. Wow, what a night. <laughs> so 
I could have saved myself the embarrassment <laughs> of that debacle <laughs> and gone for dinner with one of like the coolest women of this decade. <laughs> but you know, it's like sliding doors. Who knows what my life would have looked like? Maybe not as good. You decide so, exactly. You don't know. All do you? those, all those tiny decisions led to this moment. Talking to you, um, yeah, my, that's a one spirit. of my favourite podcasters. Yes, so mate. It's not all bad. We finally got there. We got you on. We did. Yeah, I told you. I've that. only been campaigning for a year, <laughs> like a literal year. <laughs> so this, is, I think, I think, I yeah. My first message to you was like, "Do you want to do this gig?" And I think my second and third was probably like, "I like your podcast." Uh, <laughs> I know for a year, and now I'm like, "All right." No, it's not true. I want... <laughs> Your girl plays a long game, Rich. Long game. <laughs> you're well, you, you're tenacious. You've said that. Let that be a lesson to my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> she will not, yeah, she's like the Terminator. She's relentless. <laughs> but this has been yeah. great. I knew you'd smash it. You've been wonderful. Oh, thank you. I was yeah. really nervous. No, I'm um, really nervous. So it's just talking to me. It's great. I know, but it's not, is it? Because you, you've got a few listeners, Rich. This is, um, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is professional, Rich. This isn't um, pissed at the gig, Rich. <laughs> It's very different. It's they're, very, they're very similar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just no listeners when I'm pissed reaching a pub. <laughs> yeah, this has been an absolute joy, though. Thank uh, you. For it's been me. lovely. Where can we find you online? Oh, um, well, I've got podcasts because everyone has. Of um, <laughs> it's a panel show, and you've just recorded one for me, so it's yeah, going to be good. So if you like this, you're going to like that. Just that <laughs> one episode. Um, just just look for that one. Yeah, that's the Comedy Arcade. So that is comedy underscore arcade on Twitter and the Comedy Arcade on Instagram. I'm a bit old for Instagram, but I'm trying my best. So if the content's not very good, sorry. Um, I'm PR Vix on Twitter. That's where I do my best work. Um, huh. I do some really funny stuff on there, and that's never the stuff that takes off. No, it won't <laughs> it's be. always something stupid that I've said that people really want to relate to and share. Oh man, a picture of my cat—it's—it's it's heartbreaking. The stuff like, on there. You, you tweet an absolute zinger, don't yeah. you? And you're like, "Yeah, this is going to fly," and like nothing at all. And I'm like, "Ooh, Finter's crispy pancakes, eh?" And a hundred people have liked it. So, yeah, oh. none of it makes sense. You see, you're, like you say, you you tweet so you go, "That's a good tweet. That's funny. Yeah. That's concise. It's got it all." And then someone famous tweets, "I like bananas," and the whole place spaffs its eyes out. My best performing tweet: I um, baked an egg into a cup I made out of ham, and that was my best performing tweet ever. <laughs> no words, just a picture of a ham cup with an egg in it. I've like, got to be honest. Ever. I've got to be honest. That is your finest work. <laughs> I mean, it's a pro tip. Genuinely, it's yeah. uh, it's, it's nice. But is it my best? You're not talking it, mate. I've got to be like honest. My, well, my dad is doing. Um, he's doing like YouTubing now. And he's getting more views than me, is which is awkward. Yeah. He only did it as a joke. I sent him this mystery box from Zavi to unwrap for Father's Day. And he made a like joke influencer video for oh, me. Right. Put it online. People liked it. And now they're doing like one a week. It's insane. Bastard. <laughs> they're all better than every video on my YouTube. It's ah. brutal. And he's like, have you watched my video this week? It's like, I don't want to give you the attention. Because I'm too jealous. <laughs> <laughs> See, it just goes to show you're never too old. No, no, he's really, it's it's going to escalate. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm going to be asking him to advertise my stuff. Yep. Oh, <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to be charging me money. It's like when we did a car boot set and he asked for half the proceeds. He's like... Wow. <laughs> that car boot, that, that car boot sale was like the least lucrative thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> and we had a boot full of stuff and it cost us £10 for the plot I bought a burger that was a fiver and we sold about seven pounds worth of things and my dad wanted three fifty. So Ew. it was <laughs> like five hours work for like 
less than like 60 <laughs> pence an hour <laughs> and everyone mocked my cds it was a yeah so oh, car boot sales like they are, they are not lucrative now look at him now look at him <laughs> he's an influencer no i think he, he like picked up one of my dresses and said look it's so cheap if you don't want to wear it you can rip it up up and use it as dishcloths oh wow thanks dad, thanks, dad. <laughs> cheers dad <laughs> So yeah, I've got I've had an interesting upbringing, Rich. Yeah, you have. Yeah, <laughs> it's a rich mix. <laughs> <laughs> but now look at you. Look what you're doing. You're smashing it. You're on. You're on yeah. insane in the membrane. Yay! This is another achievement. Life achievement unlocked. That's the sound of me ticking off my list. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 